Well, good morning. My name is Zach. Welcome to my home and happy Father's Day. Um, dads, happy Father's Day to you. Thank you for listening, watching, joining us online today. And uh, for the rest of you watching, thank you for um, joining. Um, I I'm really excited about today's message. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to John 15. Dads, I think you are... Um, this could be a pivotal message for you dads and really all who are watching in. We'll get there in a moment. I did want to make a really important announcement. I'm really excited about it. Um, we wanted to share with you that um, we have set a target date to reopen for um, in-person services. Uh, and the target date, God willing, is July 5th. Um, I say God willing for a couple reasons. One, we've learned that really anything can happen and sometimes the situations might change. Um, and so therefore we might have to make changes. Hopefully that won't be in this case. And then the other reason is um, uh, Renton School District, they've been so great. Um, uh, anytime we have questions, they get right back to us. Um, they've asked that we would submit um, our plan of how we will meet all of the guidelines that Governor Inslee has set out for us. And so um, please pray for us. We plan on submitting that, um, being ready to submit that this week. Um, and so that'll give us plenty of time to hear back from them. So God willing, we'll be able to meet. Um, there are a lot more details that go with it. Um, I want to encourage you um, to check your email. Every Thursday we send out an email. Maybe you already got it and so you know, um, you already know this. Um, but every Thursday we'll be sending out an email updating you with the specific details um, of what reopening will look like. Um, there's going to be signups um, for that and how you can do that, what our children's ministry is going to look like since we won't be having our typical children's ministry, um, some of the expectations that you would want to know about. Um, the services are going to be limited to 50 people, and so we are going to be having two services, and again, more details to come on that. Um, it's also worth noting, some of you, you might not be ready um, or feel like you're in a position to rejoin us in person. We understand that. Um, we will continue um, our online church experience. So if you're not ready to come, you can still watch us online every Sunday. Guys, John 15, one of my very favorite passages in the book of John, in the Bible. Um, we're going to be in this passage probably for the next two weeks. Um, we're going to look specifically at the first nine verses. I really believe that today's message could literally change the trajectory of your life. Now, I don't know if this resonates with you, but one of the things that I've heard in recent months and really for the last year or so, especially among men and fathers, um, I, I think that a lot of um, women would say the same thing. Um, and what I've been hearing is this. <sighs> I feel way too busy. I feel tired. I feel weary. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I'm kind of living with just a low-grade anxiety each and every day. Um, I just feel hurried. And I want my life to not be as hurried and as busy and as overwhelming as it currently is. I don't know if that resonates with you, 
I think this passage addresses this, and, and, and what we're going to do, again, we're going to spend two weeks in this passage. Today, I want to stay pretty high level. Two-thirds of the message um, will be uh, just making observations about these first nine verses, and then the last third of it, I want to get really, really practical and invite you to participate in an exercise to do on your own time, maybe um, with a friend or your spouse, and this exercise literally has the opportunity to change the trajectory of your life, to shift your life from being too crowded, too busy, too overwhelmed, to where God desires you to be. So John chapter 15, 1 through 9 Let's read these verses together. Um, I entitled today's sermon, The Trellis and the Vine. You'll see why um, in a moment. This is Jesus speaking. Let's listen to his words. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now that word vine dresser can be translated gardener or farmer. So Jesus is the true vine, the vine. The father is the farmer. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That word could be translated cuts away. He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Do, do you get the picture here? This is Jesus' seventh and final I am statement. And Jesus says, I am the vine. You're not the vine. Jesus is the vine. Who are we? We are the branches. Let's look at what this means. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and he withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's, that's an incredible promise, right? By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so... Prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so has I loved you. That's incredible. Did you hear that? As the Heavenly Father has loved Jesus Christ, Jesus says, so I have loved you. That's, that's what depth of love Christ has for us. Abide in my love. I want to pray for us to start our time. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray for life transformation today. For those of us who are busy, worried, overwhelmed, our schedules are too crowded, we have too many things on our plate, spiritually we are weary, emotionally we are tired, would you remind us of the invitation to abide in you and find the rest that we need and to find a life of fruitfulness. Please show us what that looks like. Please show us and teach us how to do it. 
pray this in your name. Amen. So like I said, um, really, I want us to take a high level of this passage. I want us to really answer three questions, and then at the end, we'll get really practical. Question number one, what does it mean to bear fruit? Why is it so difficult? And then thirdly, what is our part in bearing fruit? What, what is our part? So let's start with this first one. What does Jesus even mean by bearing fruit? What is meant by bearing fruit? So if you have a pen and if you have paper, I think this is going to be a message you really want to take notes on. Um, and if you have a pen and paper, write this down. God's goal for your life. God, listen to this. God's goal for your life, God's purpose for your life, is not to be successful, but to be fruitful. It's not to be successful, even though our culture tells us that that should be the goal of your life. You need to be successful. God says, nope, actually, that's not the goal of your life. It is to be fruitful. Look at verse 8. By this, Jesus says, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Or how about this one? This is verse 16. We'll look at this more in depth next week. You did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you, and listen to this language, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. God's goal for your life is not that you would just get saved so that you can spend eternity in heaven. God's goal for your life is that you would bear much fruit. Not just bear fruit, but bear much fruit. Um, and again, notice Jesus does not say be successful. He says bear fruit. Success has to do with you. Fruitfulness has to do with what you do for others. Um, I want you to think about this for a moment. Um, think about fruit. What is the purpose of fruit? What is the purpose of fruit? Is the purpose of fruit to nourish the branch in which it grows upon? No, it's not. The purpose of fruit is to nourish others. Is it not? The purpose of fruit is to nourish others. And Jesus says, God's goal for your life, the Father's goal and purpose for your life is to bear much fruit, is to nourish others. Hey, dads, God has called you. Listen, dads, this is for you. God has called you to be the spiritual leader of your home. You are called to bear fruit. You are called to nourish your wife spiritually. You are called to nourish your children spiritually. That's, that's a big deal. You are called to that. You are not called to be successful. You are called to be fruitful. And what it means to be fruitful means that you nourish others. Now, um, you might be asking, well, what does this fruit look like? What, what does it look like? Give me some pictures. Give me some words. Galatians 5 really helps us. What does it look like to bear much fruit? What does this fruit look like? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit, what is it? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It might be worth 
spending a morning or an evening this week just meditating and praying through these two verses right here and maybe asking yourself the question or, or praying through this question or journaling this question hey hey god would you reveal to me which of these fruit i am not producing would people say that you are a, a loving person joyful peaceful self-control i mean just go through the list Dads, pray through this list. What would you would your children would these name would they name this as the fruit of your life? Would your kids look at you and go, there's nobody who loves like my dad. There's nobody who has self-control when I disobey. I wonder if your kids would say that. My dad, he has the best self-control, especially when I disobey. Or he's so gentle. That's mine right there, guys. Gentleness and patience. That, that is probably the biggest thing that God has revealed to me and my parenting as a father in recent months is, wow, I, I'm not bearing fruit as I should in patience and in gentleness. Um, pray through that. That's what the fruit looks like. Here's the next question. Why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult? Here's why it's so difficult. It requires patience and it requires pain. Let's look at this first one. It requires patience. Why does it require patience? Well, look at the analogy, the metaphor that Jesus is giving. This is an agricultural metaphor. It's also worth noting the majority of Jesus' parables and, and metaphors and stories that he tells, they have to do with agriculture. They have to do with seasons. They have to do with moments in which you are planting, um, you are casting seed, you are watering, you are waiting. Let's remember, they didn't have sprinklers to turn on to water their crops. They literally waited for the rain. And so just think of agricultural metaphor here. There's a season of seeding and planting. There's a season of watering and waiting. And then finally, the season of harvest comes in which you harvest the fruit. And then what happens? The season of harvest, it ends. In fact, of all the seasons, planting, watering, harvest, the shortest of all the seasons are, are the harvest season. It's ready, we pick it, and wow, now we're done. It's really hard to be fruitful because we have to be patient. We have to wait. We have to have the season of planting and watering. Um, Look at this quote. I found this in an article that had to do with vineyards because, again, Jesus is giving us an agriculture, a vineyard metaphor. Listen to what it said. It takes at least two years for a vineyard to produce fruit. Two years, guys. And four years for the delivery of the first bottle of wine. Four years just to get one bottle of wine. I love this line. If selling your wine is your dream or you are hoping to expand, you may want to buy grapes from elsewhere until your new properties yield fruit. I, I love that. Um, at the same time, I hate it, if I'm honest. The point is this. 
it takes time to be fruitful, doesn't it? And some of us, when we read this, we, we, we do the last line here. Wow, if, if, it, if this is your dream, if you really want to be fruitful and you're not willing to wait, you know what you should do? You should just go buy grapes elsewhere and, and, and use those grapes. And I wonder how many of us do that. We, we are tired of waiting to be fruitful in our parenting. And so we try and fix it on our own terms. We are, let me state it another way. We are tired of waiting on the fruitfulness that God is going to bring. And so we try and bring it ourselves. You are tired of waiting for your children to be what you are imagining they will be. You are tired of waiting for your marriage to be the exact way you want it to be. You are tired of your work life and, and you're tired of, of taking so long for that next promotion. You're tired of not getting that pay raise. You're, you're, you're tired of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And Jesus is saying, but that's the Christian life. That is so much of the Christian life. Planting, watering, waiting. And then after four years, we see fruit. This is, Jesus never said it was easy. So, so it, it's, it's, it's difficult because it requires patience. It's also difficult because it requires pain. Listen to this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I highlighted that. Like I said before, this can be translated cuts back. If they don't bear fruit, he will cut it back. He will cut, he won't just cut it back, he will cut it off. Now, I wrote in my notes here, this is painful. These are branches that are not bearing fruit. And they're not bearing fruit because they are not abiding in Jesus. And what Jesus is doing here is he's not threatening as much as he's giving a clear warning. He's saying, I want you to understand that if you do not abide in me and you do not bear fruit, you're actually not a true follower of me and the Father will take it away. He will cut you off. And so that should be a sober warning for us to go, okay, am I really abiding in Jesus? Am I really following him? But notice what it says next. And every branch that does, does bear fruit, listen, every branch that does bear fruit. So for the branches and so for the Christians and so for you, that you have been faithful and watering and planting and bearing fruit, Jesus says, you know what the Father does with those branches? He prunes them. He prunes them. Imagine getting pruned. Imagine a branch getting pruned. That's not comfortable, is it? That's painful. It takes a knife to cut, cut those branches. But notice, the Father does that. It is painful to be fruitful because the Father will prune the branches that are faithful in bearing fruit. What does it look like to, to be pruned? What does it look like to be pruned? Here's what it looks like. Walking through a trial faithfully. That's what it looks like to be pruned. 
Maybe you're in a financial crisis. You're probably being pruned. You just got figured out that you have cancer. You just got pruned. Um, your marriage is struggling and it's requiring you to forgive. You're being pruned. You have a child who is sick and you can't figure out why they're sick. The father is pruning you. You're in the middle of COVID-19 and you can't go anywhere and you're frustrated. You are being pruned. Every single one of us in this season, you and I need to understand what's going on. Here's what's going on. You are being pruned. You, there is a difference between being punished and being pruned. And I think sometimes we... Punishment is when you are struggling with something because you have sinned. And it's the result of your sin. And, and part of your marriage struggles can be that. You're, you're struggling in your marriage, not because you're being pruned, but because there's some punishment. Like you, you sinned against your spouse and you're dealing with the brokenness that comes with that. You're not being pruned in that moment, but maybe you need to forgive your spouse. Now you're being pruned. I wrote this in my notes. What do we see when trials happen? What do we do when trials hit our lives? What do we do? We get angry. We are disappointed. We have anxiety. We have despair. That's what happens when we go through a trial. You know what the Father sees when we go through a trial? The Father sees you and I being pruned. So when you face a trial, here's the first thing I want you to say to yourself. Heavenly Father, are you pruning me so that I can be more fruitful? Because that's probably most likely what he is doing. I'm convinced that the majority of parenting is just being pruned over and over again. So this is, this is hard stuff. It requires patience and it requires pain. Now let's move here. What is our part in bearing fruit? What, what do we do? So Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. What's our job? Zach, I want to bear fruit. I know you do. You want to bear fruit, don't you? What's our part? Look at verse 4 and verse 5. Abide in me, Jesus says. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What is your part in bearing fruit? Here it is. It's almost too simple. Abide in Jesus. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. That's important. Jesus says, you cannot bear fruit if you do not abide in me. The only way, the only way to bear fruit is by abiding in Jesus. Just think for a moment of this metaphor. 
If you cut off a branch, it cannot bear fruit. The only way that it bears fruit is it must remain. That Greek word for abide, it's meno. It literally means remain or stay or abide. This is how you and I bear much fruit. We remain in Jesus. We find our life in Jesus. We find our nourishment in Jesus. We cling to Jesus all day long. I love the message translation of verse 4. Jesus says this. This is the message translation. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. Now, what does this look like just real practically? Jesus helps us. He gives us three things specifically in verse 7, 8, and 9 of what we can do, of what it looks like for us to remain, abide in Jesus. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So let's just take these one at a time. There's three of them. What does it look like practically to abide in Jesus? First thing, it looks like us abiding in his words. Abiding in his words. This is, this is God's word for your life. What does it look like for you to abide in Jesus? It means you build rhythms to where you abide in God's word every single day. And you remind yourself and meditate on these passages. You can see up above here, I've got this picture in, in a Bible verse. It's Psalm 101. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. And if you look around, I've got a scripture over there. We love because he first loved us. And we've got, we have scripture in most of our rooms at our house. Why? Because it's just one little way in which we can abide in Jesus' words all day long. I want to remind myself of Jesus. I want to remind myself of his words. I want to abide in his word in every single thing that I do. What does it look like to abide in Jesus? It looks like you and I meditating on this, God's word, day and night. The next thing, he says, ask whatever you wish. He's talking about prayer there. What does it look like for you to abide in Jesus? Pray, pray all day long. Pray through every decision. Pray in between every meeting. Pray when your kid starts acting out and anger starts to rise in you. Pray, pray, pray all day long. That's a way to abide in Jesus. And then lastly, what does he say at the end? Abide in my love. This one is a little less tangible because it's not as simple as just praying. It's not as simple as just picking up God's word. It's more so just drinking at the well of Jesus and his love and just reminding yourself over and over and over again of Christ's love for you. He loves you so much that he gave his life for you. Abide in his love. Find your identity your value, your worth in his love. I love what John 15, 16 says, and this is the NIV. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. What does it say? Fruit that will last. 
I love this verse because what Jesus is saying is, I'm not just calling you to bear fruit for this next harvest. I'm calling you to live a life of fruitfulness. Get a long-term vision for your life in being fruitful. Now, here's where I want to get really practical, and I want to give you an exercise to do. The ancients, ancient Christians, Christians in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th century, there was a particular way in which they would do this. There was a particular way in which they would set themselves up um, to abide in Jesus so that they would bear much fruit. And what they would do is they would create what was called a rule of life. Now, I've scared some of you. I didn't say rules for life. I said a rule of life. Um, listen to, this is Pete Cesaro. Um, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, listen to what he says about a rule of life. He says, please don't be intimidated by the word rule. The word comes from the ancient Greek word for trellis. That's why I entitled this sermon, The Trellis and the Vine. A trellis is a tool that in enables a grapevine, remember Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, a trellis is a tool that enables a grapevine to get off the ground and grow upward, becoming more fruitful and productive in the same way, this is what a rule of life is, in the same way a rule of life is a trellis that helps us abide in Christ. A trellis, if you looked at one, there's two posts at either end. They are anchored deep into the ground. There's three, sometimes four or five lines that stretch across these two posts. Depending on what kind of grapes you're growing, there's a different number of lines. And what the lines do, they are a trellis. They hold up the branches so that they can bear more fruit. I want to talk to you about building a rule of life I'm going to stay very high level and let you get nitty and gritty by giving you, um, if you download our worship guide, um, you can find on our website under the worship guides, you can find an article that will talk you through how to build your own rule of life. But let me just talk about it for a moment. Um, oh, I didn't finish this quote. Um, he says, and become more fruitful spiritually. It's been said that a rule of life is an exterior framework for an interior journey, a kind of scaffolding to use to build the spiritual structure of your individual life with God. It is, this is, this is what a rule of life is. This is what the trellis is. It is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. I want to encourage you to build and to create your own rule of life. And now, listen, um, uh, I think it's worth noting that um, before you say, uh, I don't want to build a rule of life, <laughs> I think there's a sense in which we kind of kick back at this and go, rule of life, rules of life, what, what is this? This sounds too constructive, too constricting, too confine me, too confining. Um, but here's the reality. You already have a rule of life. I hope you know that. 
whether it's intentional, unintentional, wise, or foolish, every single one of us, we already have a rule of life. Every single one of you, I guarantee it, have a basic set of rhythms and a basic routine for when you wake up in the morning. I bet every single one of you have a basic routine of when you pick up your phone, a basic routine of the first app that you open. Is it Instagram? Is it Facebook? Is it the news? Is it your email? Uh, most of you, I'm sure it's the Bible. Each and every single one of us, we already have a rule of life. We already have rhythms of how we start our day. I bet every single one of you each night, you probably have a basic rhythm. Put the kids down, put a show on, or put the kids down. Maybe you read, or maybe you go straight to bed and clonk down. Maybe you binge watch two hours of Netflix. Maybe you go hang out with a friend. I bet almost every single one of you, five out of seven nights of the week, you do the same exact thing. So here's the reality. Before you go, I don't want to build a rule of life. This sounds too constricting. Let me just tell you, you already have a rule of life. You already have rhythms that you do each and every day. Here's what I wrote. It's not a question of whether you have a rule of life. It's a question of do you know what your rule of life is? Or do you know what your rule of life is doing to you? You know, you've heard it said, the things we do do something to us. Or how about this one? I've heard this many times. First you make your choices, and then your choices make you. Here's what a rule of life is, and I want to encourage you to build one. It puts you in a position to strategically build the rhythms in your life that will better help you abide in Jesus. And let me close by just giving you a few guidelines to start. Again, look at the worship guide, download or, or look up the article that I have. It's real short and it'll walk you through how to build a rule of life. But here you go. Here's a guide to start. I think there's five things a guide to start. Start with this. Start with a mission statement. Start with a mission statement. Ruth Haley Barton, um, she wrote a whole entire book on building a rule of life. It's called Sacred Rhythms. I had to read it in seminary. A rule of life responds to two questions. Who do I want to be and how do I want to live? It might be more accurate to say that a rule of life addresses the interplay between these two questions. How do I want to live so that I can become the person God created me to be? So start with a mission statement. Start with where you're at, not where you should be. Every single one of you should have something in your rule of life about your rhythm of being in the Word each day and being in prayer each day. Where should you be? Gosh, I think that each and every one of us, we need to have 30, 35, 40 minutes a day of Scripture and, and prayer together. Some of you... Don't even try it. You need to start with five minutes. Start with where you're at, not where you should be. I love this one. Think subtraction, not addition. Okay, the goal of a rule of life is not to add more stuff, 
more often than not, a rule of life is meant to subtract. So here's what you should do. Take your calendar out and start subtracting things. COVID-19 probably already did that for you. Look at um, your consumption pattern of social media and start cutting stuff out and going, I'm only going to be on social media twice a day. I only check my email, or at least it's in my rule of life, so I should do it. I only check my email twice a day, morning, afternoon, and I don't check it on the weekends. Um, rarely, at least. Think subtraction. Um, uh, I love, I've got my notes mixed up here. This is so good. Um, uh, a, a book that Richard Foster wrote, Spiritual Disciplines, he divides the whole entire book um, up between disciplines of um, disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. And so think of your rule of life in that way. What are the stuff that you're going to be abstinent from? Abstinence would be things like silence and solitude, practicing Sabbath, maybe some digital asceticism, putting your phone away for a day, and then things of engagement, prayer, Bible, um, uh, community group, confession, um, Another guide to start, remember you're a holistic person, meaning everything you do is a spiritual discipline. Everything you do is doing something to your spirit, whether forming you or deforming your spirit. You need to understand that Netflix is forming your spirit. Binge watching Amazon Prime or shows is forming your spirit. Checking your email all the time is forming your spirit. Getting on social media within five minutes of waking up, you better believe it is forming your spirit. So don't just think, I got to read my Bible, pray, and boom, I figured it out. No, you need to take some of the toxins in your life and you need to get rid of them or at least build boundaries around them because they are forming you spiritually. Um, two more. Revisit your rule of life and have fun. You should revisit your rule of life to start with at least once a month and change things. Um, uh, and then have fun. Remember, this is a tool. This, this, this does not, a rule of life does not make you bear fruit. It is a tool to help you abide closer to Jesus Christ. Here's the last one. Break it into sections and you'll find this in your article relationship with God. So there's scripture, there's Bible, there's silent solitude, there's fasting, um, there's church, um, personal life and health. So um, sleep eight hours a night. That's on my rules of life. Um, working out, family and relationships. Melissa and I, on our, my rule of life, we get away three times a year, just her and I. It's on my rule of life. We pray together each night um, have a rule of life around church. Have a rule of life around work. Like I said, I only check my email twice a day because it drains me. <sighs> Let me end with this. Eugene Peterson in the message translation says this. Romans 12.1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. We are called to this. This is what it looks like to abide in Jesus. And remember, a rule of life, this is a tool. It is abiding in Jesus Christ that will bear fruit in your life. 
But I want to encourage you, dads, moms, those of you who are tired of being tired and sick of being weary and are longing for more of Jesus in your life, you got to do something about it. So sit down and create a rule of life. Create a trellis in your life that will help you abide more in Jesus. And a rule of life is a great start in doing that. Let me pray. Father, we want to abide in your Son, Jesus Christ. Please help us to do that. Pray this in your name. Amen.